You're listening to Amplify Arts Alternate Currents interview series. Alternate Currents opens space for conversation, discussion, and action around national and international issues in the arts that have a profound impact at the local level. This interview series is just one part of the Alternate Currents blog, a dedicated online resource linking readers to topical articles, interviews, and critical writing that shine a spotlight on artist-led policy platforms, cross-sector partnerships, and artist-driven community change. Visit often and join the conversation at amplifyarts.org backslash alternate currents. So today we're talking to 2019 artist support grant recipients, Sarah Hummel-Jones and Corson Androsky. We're going to find out more about the content that drives their work, their respective creative practices, and how they situate those practices within the greater economy. I'm Sarah Hummel-Jones. I'm originally from uh, Fort Wayne, Indiana, but I've been living in Omaha for the past four years. I work at the Union for Contemporary Art. I'm the co-op studio manager and ceramics technician. I usually make most of my work at my place of work, and then I'll take it home to my studio and kind of look at it there collectively. What brought you to Omaha? (laughs) Love. (laughs) My uh, partner works for June Kaneko and his contract was extended after his first three years, it was extended for another five. And when I lived in New York, I wasn't really going out and about because I'm pretty introverted. Um, I mean, I'm definitely an outgoing person, but I don't really like to go out a whole lot. So I was like, I'll move to Omaha because just kind of really uh, sitting inside in New York. So here I am. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you came from Brooklyn to Omaha, mm-hmm. and you've been here for four years. Yeah. Cool. What about you, Corson? Yeah, so I'm Corson Androsky. Um, I grew up in Hutchinson, Kansas, then went to school in Iowa, and I've been in Omaha now for uh, a couple of years. So uh, this is the largest city I've ever been in. Mostly I've been growing up in uh, pretty rural areas of the Midwest. Right now, uh, I guess my practice mostly looks like film and photography. I'm especially interested in conservation uh, and in uh, what reciprocal care could look like in both an artistic and ecological practice. Is there, how would you define that studio practice? Are you working in more traditional ways, less traditional ways, course in um, in particular when you talk about reciprocal care in photo and video? Uh, uh, How does that, that manifest? How does that idea manifest in your studio practice? Right now at my studio practice, I don't have maybe a traditional studio space. um, And most of the work that I, most of my time spent working is actually spent uh, working outside. I think for a lot of artists who work in nature, that usually looks like traveling around to a lot of different places, uh, sometimes over uh, pretty far distances. Um, But for me, I am very interested in local engagement with uh, the damaged ecosystems that we can find near us. Um, and so I started to think about sort of an abandoned corner of a nearby park within walking distance of me as a sort of studio space. Sometimes that relates directly to the production of material. Um, sometimes instead of bringing a camera or a microphone, I'll bring trash bags or I'll be, bring you know, uh, tools for gathering and uh, gather up food to eat or share with friends. At this point, as I'm still kind of um, settling into this practice, I think there's maybe even a bigger focus on that than the production of work. Um, A lot of material coming out of this practice looks um, a lot like documentary photography. Um, 
I'm sort of uh, starting to think of that as, you know, building up an archive of images, uh, sort of documenting the space over time and kind of building up that collection and reworking it and seeing um, what's formally compelling there and, you know, grouping up images, writing essays about them, cutting video together is kind of feels like the second step after sort of collecting and building that archive. Sarah, what about you? I feel like your practice also kind of involves accumulating or amassing a bunch of objects. Definitely. I guess now that I'm thinking about it, my practice is probably more traditional. It wasn't always that way, but, you know, I often will come up with ideas for objects through uh, pop culture images or like TV shows or movies or music videos that I see. And for whatever reason, you know, an idea for a specific object or shape will pop into my head and I can't, I kind of can't stop thinking about that until I get it out, like in the physical world. Oftentimes I'll draw pieces that I want to make before I make them. And then I also will draw them afterwards. And then when I get into the studio, I usually make like a pretty structured to-do list of each item I want to make and kind of like how many of them I want to make. It's kind of funny in my head. I think I think about it in terms of like a tryout for like a sports team. It's like, these objects are on the varsity team. These objects are JV. And then these just like didn't make the cut. Um, and like a lot of my favorites won't make the cut. So it's kind of funny to see like, you know, the start, you know, starting with like the list, cranking out the work, having it finished in front of me and being like, you know, I made hundreds of pieces and only, you know, a quarter of the work is actually going up. Yeah, it's interesting. I feel like the type of work you're both making is very, very different, but your approach and your strategy when it comes to making that work. It seems like there are some overlaps there, especially when we're talking about production, how much you make, and then the process of revisiting afterwards and sort of editing stuff out and putting together groupings that make sense together. I think that another similarity that you both kind of share in your approaches to art making is this idea of working with food or images of food. Of course, and like you were describing, a more kind of like participatory relationship to food where you bring in people and share stuff that you foraged. Can you both talk a little bit about that? Why food is a significant, why representations of food and working with food um, makes up a significant part of your studio practices? So I guess, I mean, it started with the donut and, you know, in grad school, I initially picked the donut because for whatever reason, I was thinking about items, objects, you know, like patterns and imagery that could in some way relate to, I guess, different classes. You mean like uh, economic classes? Yeah. So like the donut, and I really can't explain like why this popped into my head. I was thinking, you know, anyone can go to the gas station and buy 12 donuts for $2, then, uh, you know, for example, like here in Omaha, you could go to Bob's Donuts. This isn't sponsored, but it could be. <laughs> Anyone can go to Bob's Donuts and buy a donut for $4. So in my mind, I was kind of thinking about, you know, donuts in their relation to like accessibility in terms of like money and class. After that, the donut really became like a character. And then over time, the donut just started like evolving into other things. I think I went from the donut to actually like a whole pizza. And I was really interested in just the shapes of things, like geometric shapes. I like how you talked about the donut specifically. It's almost kind of like a signifier of gentrification. Oh, it's sort yeah. of like a, <laughs> it's a real thing. I feel like there's kind of a lot embedded in the way you talked about 
donuts specifically that could deal with uh, displaced economic groups yeah. as well. And I think initially when I started thinking about that, I didn't really know what I was thinking or trying to say within that. But now like talking about it, like it's making a bit more sense, at least in terms of like the objects that I'm making now, because while I would love to sell work for thousands of dollars and hopefully that'll happen one day, a lot of times I'll pick and make specific pieces on a specific sales or scale so that, you know, anybody could come in and buy a piece or, you know, a few to like 50 pieces um, being accessible to anyone and everyone. Corson, what about you? I guess this question kind of catches me off guard because I usually don't think about this as a kind of food practice or it's not maybe the most central approach to the kind of work that I'm doing right now. But um, since you bring it up, I do actually think that like um, there is a reason why um, I am especially interested in forging my work right now. I guess I think that, you know, in trying to find um, and explore the ways that uh, human and non-human ecosystems care for each other, food is kind of like the most intuitive uh, and accessible and um, maybe like one of the like most emotionally rich places where that happens. You know, it's a little harder to understand the way the natural world provides for us in terms of, you know, like soil health or uh, air quality, especially in places like Omaha, where that's not um, a huge issue. But, you know, just the practice of finding something out in the woods uh, that you can eat, um, I guess, like a really powerful experience. Um, And I think that uh, the process of, you know, looking for and gathering um, and preparing that kind of stuff, um, that food um, generates a lot of really interesting imagery. I'm especially interested in kind of the overlap between like uh, documentary and sort of like um, affectively potent emotional gestural kind of things that appear in documentary imagery is, you know, you put a hand in for scale um, or recording hands doing work, um, harvesting, repairing food. I think I would like to find ways to um, make my practice more communal. Right now, it is pretty new to me to have um, people along with me foraging. Part of that is just that I'm kind of new to this community, um, still meeting people. And uh, you know, sometimes it can be a hard sell to get people to wander out in the woods with you and eat trash off the ground. But <laughs> um, I'll do it. For I'll help and yeah. you can eat it. Um, <laughs> but I, I really do want to... Uh, figure out ways to you know involve more people in that process both in like my practice and also in the production of the material that I ultimately end up displaying I think when I was growing up I had uh, really high hopes of uh, you know living alone in the woods I just mean the natural world and um, I think like I don't know, as appealing as that still is to me, I think like growing up, I realized like how, um, what an unsustainable fantasy that is, um, the ways that, you know, even if you are in a cabin in the woods, um, in the middle of nowhere, you are kind of inescapably tangled up with uh, our greater global ecosystem, uh, especially in an era of climate catastrophe. Um, there's no really, there's no way to not be implicated in the kind of mutual interactions between people and our ecosystem. And it's, uh, I think kind of, disingenuous and dangerous to pretend that you can isolate yourself from that. Um, 
So yeah, I'm very interested in bringing more community into this practice. Last time we talked, Sarah and I expressed interest in kind of trying to figure out ways to like harvest clay locally. Yeah, I was going to say like, I think that would be cool if if like we found a spot in the woods somewhere where there's yeah. like, I think if you found like a creek, you could probably mm. dig and find something. Yeah. Um, but then I was also thinking like, if we aren't successful in that, we should go foraging and I can just bring clay and then we like make stuff there. Oh, wow. I think that would Ooh. be fun. And thinking about photography, kind of like this central theoretical image, um, thinking about like how photography relates to um, reality. I always think of like an imprint in clay when I'm thinking about how photography sort of mechanically reproduces. I think that's like one of the classic examples teaching um, indexicality. And so it's always, that medium has always felt kind of connected for me in some ways, just in, I guess it's not super common in a, in a sculptural practice to kind of like seek out that kind of imprinting. Um, I would, I don't know, I would love to kind of bring some clay into the woods and think about, maybe think about it as an alternative to photography uh, as another kind of way to mechanically reproduce things through imprinting them into the clay. Yeah, I never um, thought about that, like in relation to photo, but that reminds me of, um, I'll look them up and share it with you, but there were two women in Chicago who did this like community-based project where, I mean, essentially they were doing it, but then they would like share with other people where they would walk around with this cart. And in the cart, there was like clay and minimal tools, but then they would take small chunks and like um, imprint, you know, sidewalks or parts of building that they would see along like their trip or adventure in the city and just in like daily life. And then they would like fire it and have like these kind of keepsakes from just like moments think more recently I've been thinking about how my practice has become like too systematic or like too much of an equation. Uh, so I think it would be interesting and fun, maybe even like freeing in a sense to just like go out and just like make stuff and like try to challenge myself in the sense of like not making what I would normally make. When's the last time in your practice you felt like you were kind of like suddenly doing something like radically different? What's like the most recent like big change um, uh, you've seen your practice sort of work coming out of it more and more I'm thinking about making so you know like normally I make a few to several items but then within those items I'll make you know 30 to 50 of them and then as I'm glazing and finishing the work they might all be glazed the same or they might like have different variations and recently in the last maybe three months I've been making just like one-off individual sculptures where it's like the only one that exists and I've been trying to think of like, you know, still making the same piece over and over again in a production sense, but then also pairing that with like a one-off sculpture. Like one, for example, was I made like a stack of pancakes and then there's like a foot that sits on top of it and the piece of butter is on top of the foot. But um, I guess trying to like incorporate that more into my practice so it's not like so structured. I'm definitely like a structured person and that makes me feel more comfortable day to day, but I think it might be productive and fun to like kind of astray from that at least every once in a while do those kind of production formulas that you have set out for yourself help you confront the idea of saleability or commodification or how these objects exist when there's a transaction involved? i think it kind of helps but then at the same time it's like only some people buy stuff and then i'm left with all this other stuff so i'm like am i making the wrong things is there something wrong with them like uh the only reason I ask is because it seems 
again, there's some overlap in both of your practices when it comes to commodifying your work in the sense that you're both kind of like working with these alternative systems or like alternative economies almost. Because I feel like Course and You in one sense are sort of a rebuffing the trappings of capitalism and Sarah, you're really like leaning into them and trying to push them to the point at which they almost break down Well, yeah, because that's... you're making so, so much and investing so much in your production and then offering it um, in this very like accessible you know, like, all I want to say is I want to make money um, <laughs> and, like, open up a, in all seriousness, like, ceramic line to, you know, support my lifestyle. But then also every once in a while, like, teaching workshops to share. But, yeah, when I'm making, I'm thinking a lot about, like, I guess, you know, I feel like there's a lot of talk about art versus, like, design. And I kind of am really interested in, like, bridging that gap. I think that the gap is definitely... Uh, like decreased over the last few years, but, you know, making stuff that's more design oriented, but then also still making objects that can be paired with that in like a large installation. But yeah, I love the idea of like making a bunch of work and then having a bunch of people like buy it. Yeah. It's sort of like, <laughs> Sarah, it almost seems like you're, uh, uh, you know, kind of like I said, pushing, pushing the system to its breaking point and coursing your thinking about, existing almost outside of that system entirely. And both of those things propose alternatives mm -hmm. to how the art market economy has traditionally been structured. Yeah. Which is, I think, a really interesting point, again, of overlap in both of your um, studio practices in kind of a funny way. You talked a little bit about having other jobs, day jobs, other ways of making income, generating money to support yourselves. Do those other avenues, those other revenue streams feed into your studio practices? Do you find the, the two, um, do you find that the two have kind of a porous relationship or do you try and compartmentalize and keep things as separate as you possibly can? I think my job slash my practice like influence each other just maybe in the sense that, you know, I'm a ceramics tech and I'm working in clay. Or even like when I'm doing administrative responsibilities at work, sometimes I catch myself like doodling a couple sculptures that um, <laughs> like I'm doing right now, doodling sculptures that maybe I want to make in clay. Uh, and then so like at night, three days a week at work, I'm the ceramics tech. So I'm there for co-op members to like ask questions to, um, you know, recently it's been pretty slow in the studio. So I'll just kind of like take that opportunity to make my own work. And while I'm doing that, I'm still available to people. So I guess like that in that sense, like it overlaps, but um, I think at the same time, as much as it can be, they're also like really separate. And I think that's more just for my own peace of mind. As I'm getting older, I'm definitely trying to establish more boundaries. And I think that that helps um, just because I think if they were like too connected, it would be really hard to be at work because I'd feel like I was there all the time. And then I think it would also be really hard to make work because I'd feel like maybe I was doing that or like in relation, like to work too much. The sort of content that you're focusing on doesn't come from like your administrative role, or right. your role as a ceramics technician. You're not representing, you're not making representational imagery no. that deals with those aspects of your job. Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> but the fact that you're a ceramics tech, obviously has yeah. like a very strong connection to the um, more process oriented aspects Right. Of your making practice. Yeah, that's right. I think that for some of the jobs I'm doing right now, 
there's like some really significant productive exchange uh, between work and my artistic practice. Um, but there are also jobs that I just have strictly to, um, I don't want to say, you know, strictly to pay the bills. I'm like, this is work that I think is good for me, but it doesn't feel meaningfully related to my artistic practice at all. And I do kind of try and compartmentalize it a little bit. I guess right now that's looked like software development stuff. I don't know. I would be very interested in having sort of interactive uh, coding kind of stuff be a part of my process someday, but that's a very long way off. And in the meantime, that just feels totally separate. Um, my other jobs, though, I guess the main one would be working as an academic research assistant for an old professor focusing on uh, archival research. That has really, really heavily informed both how I you know, actually make my work, um, how I think about it, um, how I think about my subject matter. So what my work uh, in this job looks like is usually um, you know, going out to archives once a year or so, um, or having my professor do that. And then we just, uh, working as fast as we can, we just amass as much material as possible, um, save it to hard drives. We read just as much as it takes to figure out what's relevant or not. Um, and then we spend the rest of the time, uh, however much we can get funding for, um, sort of reviewing that material, not just organizing it, but you know, actually generating you know the end product of uh, academic writing, um, contributions to uh, this field we're working in. And I sort of think about the kind of production of my own work in a very similar way, kind of thinking about mm, the production of an archive and then creation of the finished work as being kind of a separate step from that of, you know, reviewing, organizing um, that material. And I guess that also kind of informs how I think about my subject matter. I've kind of started to think about the landscape as a kind of archive and think about what sort of theories and methodologies from archival research uh, could be applied to it. Um, my uh, research work is mostly in the humanities, um, in women's studies, um, where there are uh, there's some really fantastic work and theorizing being done about you know uh, reading the absences of archives, paying attention to what's missing there, what its boundaries are, and also this uh, there's also uh, some really interesting uh, methodologies involving sort of focusing on your affect just as much as the material itself. You know, thinking about what it feels like to be in an archive of, you know, letters of these sort of uh, forgotten activists and writers, what it feels like to encounter them, you know, to read their letters, you know, begging for rent money, uh, about talking about not being able to eat, um, all about their love letters, um, and thinking about, you know, uh, how do we feel as we encounter that today and what does that tell us about our present moment as well as the past? And... I'm kind of very interested in approaching my subject matter the same way, thinking about what does it feel like today to kind of start up this practice outdoors, you know, which, you know, looked and felt very differently uh, in different places, in different times. Um, but, you know, what does it feel like now and what does that tell us about our present moment? Um, you know, what does it feel like to touch plants, something that was normal beyond, I don't know, even notice for most of our history, whereas now that feels like a really, really special thing, even, you know, uh, having, you know, made a focus of doing it daily for a couple of years now. Boy, that's a very long-winded answer. I love that archiving job very, very much. <laughs> um, I think I just wanted to ask maybe one more question and get your thoughts, both of your thoughts, 
especially because you, you, I mean, you both lived other places, right? So I'm interested to hear what you think. I'm interested to hear what your impressions of this place are. What do you think about living in Omaha? What resources are available to you here? And what resources you would like to see put into place? Boy, I think this is like one of the first things that we talked about when we like hung out for the first time. Mm-hmm. Talked about this. Talked about oh, we talked about our signs. Um, <laughs> talked about oh, yeah, pets. We're both but Pisces. We also talked about Omaha. Yeah, we're both Pisces and we're both twins. Yeah. Um, boy, this question seems to like come up uh, whenever I meet anyone. Um, like, I feel like this is a big question for young people in the city. Mm-hmm. I guess, like, you know, I don't have much frame of reference other than the rural places that I've lived. Um, and it is so different socially, just how, like, meeting people and working and, like, dating works in a city um, versus, like, a tiny community where you sort of meet people organically without, you know, uh, having, like, special efforts to leave the house. Yeah. I have been... I feel like Omaha doesn't have... Um, much of a reputation even in like its immediate orbit in the midwest um, like i lived like on all sides of it all my life and never knew anything about it except the zoo um, but since coming here i've been blown away by the like local arts community the local like urban farming and gardening community um are like maybe my two favorite things about the city and those were kind of really my entry points into sort of getting into the city and building up uh, a support system and a community for myself There's definitely resources here that I think are pretty accessible to the majority of people. Um, I feel like there are definitely also like organizations or like small groups of people kind of starting things to make more accessible to those who don't um, have access or, you know, money to uh, use resources that someone might be able to have like when they're at a university I think the thing, and this is just my personal opinion that I think that Omaha is missing is for people, you know, outside of institutions and schooling and universities to have more like critical uh, dialogue with other artists, whether that being structured or not. And I mean, like true criticism, not like fluffy criticism, I think also. And then like along those lines, like people who would be then committed to doing that, participating and facilitating. Oh, yeah, I think one of the things I mentioned early on is like I was uh, as I was going to like all of these small shows and like all the adjacent shows, um, I like asked Peter if there was anyone like really talking or writing about these shows in a public facing way uh, as far as like reviewing criticism. Uh, and it doesn't really seem like there's much out there right now. Mm-hmm. So I, I would be really, really interested in something like that, too. I know there's um, I've always like, wanted to be an art critic. Yeah, you should start. I don't know. No, <laughs> There's that alternate MFA program. Um, I'm really interested in seeing what that looks like, what it looks like over time, um, whether that kind of like uh, community feedback and criticism as you bring in like visiting people, uh, whether there are other ways that we could structure that outside of a class or, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether just like by osmosis as we like do that more in private, it might find its way out too. No, I think that's really exciting. I think there are a lot of educational opportunities and opportunities opportunities for criticism outside of institutional systems. Mm-hmm. I think it's just a matter of building that sort of um, participation. Yeah, I think that's the biggest uh, current struggle is like 
you know, you might find four people who are like, yeah, we'll do this like in an unstructured manner, but then it happens once and then it never happens again. Yeah. And it usually just reaches like four people. Building engagement outside of institutions, I think, is probably the most, like, fertile territory for criticism in this town. I don't know. In Omaha specifically. That, again, is just my, that's just my personal feeling. But. Do you have any thoughts or plans as to how that could work, what that could look like? I sure do. 2020. <laughs> okay, so there would be a fun announcement coming up. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Okay, that's exciting. <laughs> but we're working on it. And I think that organizationally we've acknowledged and kind of realized that that's been something that's missing here for a lot of folks. We hear that anecdotally, but we also have heard it um, after gathering some more like formal data through surveys and focus groups. So it's definitely on the list. But thank you both for bringing it up. And thank you also for spending your time with us. No, thank you for all your great, generous support always. Is there, is there anything either of you have coming up that you'd like to put in a little plug for before we sign off? So I just finished up um, uh, a pair of events with uh, Amplify, uh, a public program that we kind of talked about as an outdoor studio tour, where I kind of uh, give a few people uh, uh, a tour and a talk about the place where my practice is kind of focused right now. Um, and even though those are over, um, I'm still out there all the time. I'm always giving informal tours. And so I also want to invite people to be in touch if they'd like to, uh, come along sometime or hear parts or all of that talk again. Uh, so that offer is always on the table. Um, then in, uh, on January 4th, I'm going to be doing uh, a generator show just at our generator space with Amplify. That's everything I have coming up right now. Yeah, I just participated in a group show in Portland at a gallery, Carnation Contemporary. Um, I believe it only runs through the end of June, but then the intention is to see if that show will travel to other spaces, Um, but the curator is kind of working on that right now. And then in Omaha, I'll have an artist talk at Amplify Arts on August 16th. Should be fun. I think I might switch it up from how I normally do it. So if you're available, come on down. And then as of now, I only have a two-person show scheduled at Amplified's Generator Space, uh, November 8th, 2019. Well, that's great. A lot of stuff coming up for both of you. Yeah. Exciting. Great. Cool. Thank you again. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.